today, we're going to be talking about eldership. Somebody say eldership. Thank you. Now, this might seem like a bit of a random topic given the nature of the other stuff we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. But here's why this and why today and why now. Because eldership is super, super, super critical to our church moving forward. Some of you guys know very well uh, the, the function and the purpose of elders in the church. That's great, and I want this to be a refresher and a reminder and an encouragement to you today, and we'll all be on the same page about it. Some of you maybe don't have quite as much there about knowing about elders or whatever. Maybe some of you don't even know that we have elders. So we're all gonna get on the same page about this. We're gonna have a lot of scripture today, so if you're a note taker, I apologize if your hand cramps up, but God actually has quite a bit to say about this. And here's the deal. Here's why this is important. The local church, including ours, rises and falls on its leadership. So, I mean, God can do anything. God can make anything happen. But I'm just saying, by and large, if a church has poor leadership, the church probably isn't going to be able to flourish and be effective and be fruitful. There's a strong correlation between a healthy church and strong leaders. So, us being a, an, an elder-led, elder-governed church, that's what we are as the harbor, it becomes that much more important to us that we, that we get this right, that we understand what's going on here. So, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the qualifications of elders. The Bible talks a lot about this. In fact, the number might make some of you uh, a little bit. The Bible gives at least 21 qualifications for eldership. And if you're wondering, yes, we are going to talk about all of those today. So settle in. We're going to fly through them. This is a crash course, very, very like small crash course on eldership. Then we're going to talk about some of the duties of elders. And then we're going to talk about what we as elders of the harbor have been doing. Because it's important that you guys know, uh, here, here's the precursor. We have not been on vacation during COVID. Okay, so here we go. Anyway, qualifications of elders. A lot of these come from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Buckle in. Number one, qualification. If someone wants to be an elder, a qualification they must have is a desire to be an elder. That's from 1 Timothy 3.1 and 1 Peter 5.2. Those verses says, say, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's another word for elder in scripture, he desires a noble task. 1 Peter 5.2 says, elders are to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So the key words there are desire, willingly, aspire, in life, we obviously can't chalk everything up to whether we want to do something or not. That only carries so much weight. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, I'm sorry. You have to pay your taxes. You have to eat. You have to sleep. doesn't matter whether you want to or not. That only carries so much weight. But here's the thing with eldership. If someone is an elder begrudgingly, if they simply don't want to be doing it, odds are good or odds are increased that they we'll have a harder time giving 100% to it. And this role, as you're gonna see, is so important that, that elders can't afford to give any less than 100% to the role. That's where we're at. Desire, number two, an elder must be above reproach. That's from 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus verse one, or chapter one, verse six. How many of you know what the word reproach means? Don't be afraid if you don't. Because I had to look it up and I'm gonna tell you, the definition of reproach is the expression of disapproval or disappointment. So someone who's above reproach means that they are not above like they're better than anybody, but they're above 
someone looking at them and disqualifying them from something based on their behavior. So for an elder, it shouldn't be a case of so-and-so's an elder, they're a sketch bag. You obviously don't know them very well. That shouldn't be something that happens. Elders should be people who are people of integrity, people who are not mired constantly in ongoing sin or scandal. They need to be a people who are blameless. And answer me this, does that mean elders are to be perfect? No, because I will put my hand up first and say, I wouldn't be one. Uh, none of the other two in our church would be either, and no church would have elders if perfection was required. But this is the general state of being above reproach. Number three, the husband of one wife. I will risk having something thrown at me here because this actually is, this actually is um, quite a point of contention for some. And uh, though part of me would like to just like, not even talk about it, we're gonna talk about it because it's here. And I'll just, I'll put it right straight out here to you. Um, we, as leaders of the harbor, our conviction and our scriptural interpretation by the best wisdom and prayer and discernment that we can avail ourselves to, our conclusion is that we believe eldership is an office that is reserved for men. And I'll, I'll flesh that out a little bit let the initial shock factor just kind of sit for a minute. But what I want you to know is we haven't just haphazardly decided this. Oh, I don't know. Let's just have men. You know, we'll be chauvinistic. Well, no, 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 no. I want you to know we've studied the scriptures. We've prayed. We've, we've really looked into this. We've used our best wisdom, and that's where we're at. Now, here's the thing. In the church, the capital C global worldwide church, there are many branches, there are many traditions, there are many different expressions of church, and some of them, a good number of them, um, will say on the one hand, yes, elders should be men only, but also a good number on the other hand say, well, no, it's absolutely fine scripturally for women to be elders and senior leaders that way. So it's a really interesting thing to kind of pop the hood up on and, and look into that more, because both sides, will use scripture to say, this is why we do this. I, I wanna just emphasize our kind of stance on this one, please hear me, our stance is not in any way, shape, or form at all to devalue women. It's not in any way to repress or harass or keep women down or be chauvinistic or whatever. Women, I, if you hear anything today, please hear this, and please hear me say this, women, men, under God, absolutely equal standing. What did I just say? Equal standing. There's no star beside that. There's no fine print. That's, that's what it is. That's how it is. That's how it is. But equal doesn't always mean you have the exact same role, okay? But one is no better than the other, and I will single out you ladies and say, listen, we love you. We appreciate you. You are valued. You are needed. You are respected. I, I pray that you know that. I pray that you know that today. I, I just have to keep going on this one for a minute because it's important. Maybe even in a group this size, and go ahead and don't give a show of hands on this one, but even in a group this size, my guess is that there are people even in this room right now who would say, well, I don't agree with that stance. That's what the elders say, but I don't agree with that. Do you know something? That is okay. That is okay because this women in, in leadership uh, discussion, it's called, it's what's known as a secondary issue. Somebody say secondary issue. 
And you say, but it's really important to me. Yes, it might be really important to you. It's still a secondary issue. It's not a matter of an essential, which would be like, who is Jesus? How do we get saved? Um, um, you know, the cross, like all this stuff we've talked about. Those are essential points, and we cannot afford to disagree on those. We cannot. But in secondary matters, no matter how strongly you might feel about it, we're actually entitled to not believe exactly or practice the exact same thing. And that's kind of another broad discussion for another time. But I want you to know, I'm not saying like you're wrong or you're crazy if you disagree with the elders on this one. Here's what I am saying. Please hear me. What we're not allowed to do is let our opinion or our belief or our practice on secondary matters cause division or cause dissent in the church. No matter how strongly we feel, we are not allowed to cause division, cause fights, cause strife and chaos based on those things. Honestly, these are matters where we'll have to agree to disagree. And guess what? We still have to keep on loving each other and we're gonna keep hanging out together. So that's good news. What I will say to this, if this, because this is a huge topic, right? And we can't really talk about it much more today. If you have questions or concerns or whatever about this, this uh, uh, female uh, eldership thing or anything, come and talk to me. Come and talk to the elders. We would love to talk to you about that, seriously. We, we seriously would. But I gotta move on for today. And nobody's thrown anything, so okay, we're safe. I'll stop while I'm ahead. So this phrase, with all that in mind, this phrase, husband of one wife, about eldership, it loosely translates to this, a one-woman kind of man. One-woman kind of man. This does not mean that someone who's an elder has to be married to be an elder. This also does not mean that someone will just make up a scenario. Say an elder had a divorce previously and got remarried. That doesn't automatically bar them from eldership. Although in a case like that, we would wanna use wisdom and discernment and prayerfulness and make sure it's the right decision kind of on a number of levels. What this does mean is that a potential elder candidate is someone who demonstrates the qualities consistently of a one woman kind of man. So they are not sleeping around. They're not lusting after other women. They're not playing the field. They're not into pornography. They are devoted and loyal and obedient to God, particularly in regard to their sexual life. That's what this is getting at. Number four, sober-minded. That's from 1 Timothy 3, 2. Now, you might hear sober-minded and jump to, oh, this is about alcohol. It isn't necessarily, because we have that one later. Sober-mindedness is the state of not allowing oneself to be captivated or influenced um, by anything that would lead them astray from sound judgment. That's a lot of words. Essentially, it means this. Someone who's sober-minded has a good head on their shoulders and they can think clearly. It doesn't mean that they never struggle. It doesn't mean that they never have a wicked thought enter their mind. It doesn't mean that they don't get down or hung up on something. It just means that generally speaking, it's someone who can think clearly. It's someone who doesn't get caught up in every little thought that comes into their mind. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing if you experience that kind of thing. It's, it's someone who doesn't get caught up in everything that they hear on the news. Did you know not everything on the news is worth you worrying about? I hope that ministers to you. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to take every thought captive so that we can obey Christ better. So that means that we say, okay, every thought in my mind, right? we're, loved to, we're, we're, we're called to love the Lord our God with our heart and our soul and our strength and our 
mind. So that means that every thought, and this is a lifelong uh, procedure to do this, but every thought, I submit that unto Christ and I say, Lord, have your way with this. I seek you, I press into you, and that helps us to follow him better. So someone who is sober-minded, like I say, they can avoid destructive or chronically unhelpful patterns of thinking because sometimes our minds can really play tricks on us and lead us down paths that aren't super helpful or healthy. Uh, so that's that one, sober-minded. Number five, self-controlled. 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 8. This is similar to sober-mindedness, but it's not just about your mind or your thoughts. An elder is someone who has to be self-controlled and self-disciplined in all areas of life. So they, they can control themselves. They're not going wild like in sin or in anger or wild really in anything that's uh, destructive. They can, here's one, listen now. Someone who is self-controlled can bite their tongue when someone's up in their grill and giving them the business and they want to come back at them. They've got a really good comeback. Oh, but I know I shouldn't say it. Self-control, like, okay, you can like bite your tongue in those moments. And that's hard, amen? That's hard, but that's there. And what I would point out to you, by the way, is that self-control is listed among the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter five. You know what that tells me? Someone who's an elder, in fact, I would just expand that even people who are Christians are to be people who are spirit-led. That's what that's saying. Number six, respectable, 1 Timothy 3, 2. There are parallels with being above reproach, which we talked about. Respect is a qualification for an elder. And like your mama probably told you, mine did, she's right back there, respect is what? Earned, earned, yes. An elder is someone who has earned the respect of people around them, be it Christians or non-Christians. It doesn't mean everyone likes them per se, but everyone respects them. And they have proven, they have a track record over time that they are trustworthy and dependable and a person of integrity and all the stuff that goes along with that. Respectable. Number seven is hospitable. Somebody say hospitable. It's fun to say, so you're welcome. Hospitable, 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 8. Hospi hospitable, hospitality, you get this. This is being accommodating to others. Uh, this is someone who doesn't close themselves off and say, I'm not talking to you, you can't get a hold of me, my phone is off, my phone is on silent, you'll never get me. Scripture tells us, it's in Romans 15, 7, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. So someone, an elder who is hospitable, we don't have to be legalistic about this. This doesn't look just one way. But for instance, have someone over to your house for a meal. That's being hospitable. Maybe you're in the situation that I'm in and you live really far away and no one would want to drive to your house for a meal. That's okay. Call someone on the phone. Make time for them. Send them a text or a message. Go see them. Spend time and make time for people. And this is important because, you know what this is? This is an act of humility. Hosp hospitality. Because what you're saying is, I'm not above you, I'm not greater than you, and you are worth my time. And I'm going to come alongside you and we're going to hang out and we're going to do life together and you're, you're, a value, you're valued by me. That's what this is saying. So that's something elders need to do. Uh, and B is hospitable. Number eight, able to teach. 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 9. This is a distinguishing feature of eldership. They are responsible for communicating and upholding sound biblical doctrine. Super, super important in Scripture. The scripture comes back to this time and time again. Elders must be able to teach. Now, that can look like many things. That could be a sermon. That could be in a small group. That could be one-on-one. -on -one. Since we all are familiar with this now, it could be on Zoom. Thank you. Now, 
the, the, the how and the venue is less important than the fact that an elder has to be someone who knows the scriptures and can teach them and communicate them. And what this is saying is it's not a character defect or a flaw if you can't do that. It just means that person isn't ready yet. Number nine, not a drunkard. 1 Timothy 3.3 and Titus 1.7. So we know, we can read the scriptures, it's plain as day, drunkenness is sin, it's sinful. Um, it's a sin in general, and that should just be enough for us, but the problem with drunkenness, as far as eldership goes, is that it's a failure to be self-controlled and self-disciplined, right? So it kind of contradicts some of the other qualifications. Interesting point, what this does not say in these verses is that an elder can't drink any alcohol. It doesn't say that. And we read in Scripture, like what the, the, the pattern that Scripture seems to set out for us is that alcohol consumption in and of itself isn't wrong. It's when you cross the line and, and have too much is when the problem is. What I would say to that, though, is someone who's an elder, yes, you're permitted to drink technically, but my mind goes back to all things are lawful, but are all things beneficial. So someone who's an elder would want to use sound judgment regarding something like this because you don't want to lead somebody else astray. Oh, well, I see Richard drinking. He's sitting in front of me. I had to do it. So I must be able to do it, and that might lead me into sin, right? So use good judgment and discernment on that one. Number 10, not violent but gentle. 1 Timothy 3, 3 and Titus 1, 7. That word violent, yes, it's whatever you picture that to be. That could be physical or verbal or any other kind of abuse or mistreatment or harassment, etc. Here's the thing about eldership. It is a role of authority in the church. And God expects, he puts a very high expectation on people who have authority anywhere to use their authority in a good way. And you can't use your authority to exploit people or beat them down. God absolutely hates that. He hates it. Now, this not violent but gentle thing, listen, sometimes hard conversations are still needed, but, but they're to be done in a way that is kind and gentle and loving and respectful. You're not just beating someone down with the authority that you have in your role. Number 11, not quarrelsome. 1 Timothy 3.3 3 says about that. And Romans 12.16 is a verse that tells us to live at peace with one another to the very best of our ability. So elders should not be people who are going around constantly picking fights. How many of you know someone who's always seeming to be picking a fight or they're always in the center of drama or some scandal? It's like it seems to just find them like they're a magnet right? Elders are not to be people who are like that. Again, sometimes disagreements might happen. Maybe as an elder, you are in a quarrel with somebody, but that's different than the ongoing state of being quarrelsome. Like this is just what you do all the time. Number 12, how are we doing so far? Are you guys doing good? All right, good. Number 12 is not a lover of money. That's 1 Timothy 3.3 3 and Titus 1.7. Answer me this, true or false? Money in and of itself, money is sinful, it's evil, it's ungodly, and it's wrong. True or false? Amen. Money is neutral, okay? Money is actually a gift from God, and it's to be used for his glory and his kingdom and his purposes and for our good and for the good of others. Money is not evil in and of itself. What the Bible says is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money leads you down a road you'd never think you would go. It is a mess. It's tragic. And an elder cannot be someone who is a lover of money. Jesus said himself, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. So an elder, if they're a lover of money, will be putting that first. Their life will be circling around that. And you know what that means? They won't be able to fully serve God and his people. 
can't be a lover of money. Number 13, manage his household well. 1 Timothy 3, 4. We talked a little bit about this in our Colossians series a few weeks ago. What we said is that no household is perfect. Would you agree? No household is perfect. Every household, regardless of the makeup of your household, will have strife and trouble and things you got to just work through and deal with. Welcome to life. But the precedent here is that the husband slash father should take responsibility to love and lead his family well. Can't just sit back, can't just watch the world go by. Got to step up and lead. So troubles may come, troubles will come, but those are dealt with. Uh, what this is getting at is that the house shouldn't always be in constant shambles. Manage his own household. And the reason why is given in the verse right after 3-4. It says, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he serve God's church? How can he care for God's church? So that one's a must. Number 14, submissive children. 1 Timothy 3-4 and Titus 1-6. Hey, this does not mean that an elder has to have kids. I don't have any kids. Um... Anyone who's been an elder that does have kids for any amount of time will know that the kids don't always do the right thing. Don't say anything. <laughs> You're censored. You're censored at this moment. You can talk about, anyway, never mind. I did, I did, it's my own fault. So it doesn't mean that, like I said, an elder's kids always have to do the right thing. Oh, they sinned, that elder is unqualified for the job. No, what this is getting at is that and elders' kids, especially while they are kids. Uh, let me even just pause there. Sometimes what happens is, whether it's an elder or, or just a believer in general, people will raise their kids to the very best of their ability. They'll raise them in a godly Christian home. They'll teach them about Jesus. They'll provide for them, do absolutely everything they can do. This is, I'm just gonna get heavy for a second. Sometimes the kid or the child, when they grow up, they still walk away from the Lord. So what this is not saying is that an elder, his kids have to be Christians even if they're adults. Obviously, that's what we want, but sometimes that's out of your control. And I just want to give some ear to that and, and, and some word to that because I know even in this group, like some of you, that's your guys' story. And I want you to know, keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your kids. God loves them. You love them. Just lift them up in prayer. Keep doing that. But anyway, um, this, what this qualification is getting at is that while the children are especially in their father's care, so they're not grown-ups, um, they are raised to be respectful and obedient and submissive. That's what this qualification is getting at. Number 15, not a recent convert. 1 Timothy 3, 6. The reason why you can't be a recent convert is given in that same verse. It says, or he may be, become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That doesn't sound so good, right? That phrase, the condemnation of the devil, by the way, uh, there's, a, there's numerous kind of uh, possible meanings for that. One of them is just this, that pride and conceit disqualify an elder like pr how pride and conceit disqualified Satan from his role as an angel of God. Remember that in the Bible, how Satan rebelled against God. He was of prominent standing as an angel of God and he rebelled and he was cast out. His pride disqualified him. In the same way, pride and, and, and conceit disqualify someone from being an elder. Another possible meaning to that just takes it a little further. It's to say pride and conceit can cause a person to do some really stupid things. Been there. And when pride and conceit lead you to do something stupid, sometimes you have to face the consequences of that action. 
And, and, and some say that's kind of what that condemnation of the devil means. Like you have to go through the negative about all of that. But either way, what is clear here is that rising to senior leadership, particularly in the church, too quickly, this is a really easy trap to fall into. It can go to a person's head. And so the safeguard is put in place. They shouldn't be a recent convert. Obviously, anybody is susceptible to pride, but someone who's really young in the faith, maybe more so. Note it doesn't say anything about your physical age. This is talking about your age as a believer. You can't be a young or new believer to be an elder. Number 16, well thought of by outsiders. 1 Timothy 3, 7. This one's so interesting because, like we've seen, the role of eldership really and truly deals with those inside the church. Yet, here's this qualification that pertains to those who are outside the church, who are unbelievers even. An elder is someone, again, who has the respect from those people. Again, remember, it's, even if someone doesn't know anything about church or the faith, they shouldn't be able to say, Braden's an elder? You don't know him like I know him, right? That shouldn't be a conversation that comes up. An elder should be someone who constantly, chronically sows good influence and a good witness to those around them, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. Unchristians is not a word. Number 17, discipline, Titus 1.8. To be disciplined is to consistently behave in a controlled way. So to be disciplined means you're on top of things. You're not just letting the chips fall where they may. You're not just letting the wind blow you around every which way. It means you're working hard. You're not lazy. You're not just shrugging your shoulders. You follow through on your commitments. You put the work in and the time in to grow your faith and your leadership. That is a qualification of elders, someone who's disciplined. Number 18, not arrogant, from Titus 1.7. This speaks to the necessity of being humble. Somebody say humble. Remember in James 4.6, it says God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. And that's so, like it's just so there. Someone who is arrogant, right, we kind of know what goes along with that. Maybe an inflated ego, or they're in it for themselves, or they're in it for their own gain, or whatever the case may be. Whatever it is, arrogance, someone putting themselves first, right away, that means they're not putting God or the church first. How are they going to care for someone if they're way down here, you know what I'm saying? So they can't be arrogant. Number 19, not quick-tempered, Titus 1.7. This does not mean an elder can never get angry. Some things should make you angry. I get angry every year when the Leafs get eliminated from the playoffs. And I'm saying that that's godly and I'm gonna keep doing it. We can edit that part out. Anyway, the, the point is, some things should make you angry and there's a way to be angry in a godly way, which we'll talk about that some other time. The point here is that your first instinct, your first reaction, your first uh, emotion in every little situation, even if it's this big, shouldn't be anger. You shouldn't fly off the handle. Don't overblow things. It's okay. And I'll be honest, this one, you know, of some of these, this one is one that I have to watch, to be honest. Someone would say, Braden would never have a temper. Just ask someone that I've lived with for any amount of time, and they will tell you that that's one that I need God's grace in. Anyway, number 20, moving rapidly along from that. Number 20, an elder is God's steward. Titus 1.7. So a steward, not even in a spiritual sense, is someone who is hired to look after and to manage and to, uh, things uh, in a household, like keeping accounts or uh, managing servants or collecting uh, rents or any of that kind of stuff. That's what a steward does. They take care of something that belongs to someone else. An elder does that spiritually and with material things. God's steward is someone who takes care of what is God's. 
who's responsible with what is God's, who seeks to use what God has given them for his glory and for his kingdom. I don't know what else to say. That's what it is. Number 21, the last one of qualifications, an elder must be a lover of good. Titus 1.8. Romans 12.9 tells us to cling to what is good. Cling to it. You can just get the visual, like hold on to that for dear life. Why? Because God is good. Do you know God is good today? An elder is someone who embodies this mentality, a desire and pursuit of good things as God would define them. Right? We don't get to say what's good. God does because he is good. And an elder is someone who desires that kind of stuff in their life and in the lives of others around them and they work toward it. A lover of good. Here's what I want you to do. Deep breath in and out. Another one. Good for the lungs. Come on. Okay. Those are the biblical qualifications of elders. You could maybe argue there's a couple of more, but that's, that's, that's generally the list right there. Those are the things that an elder or someone who aspires to be an elder needs to be. Those are character qualities. We're going to talk now about the duties of elders, what they're actually supposed to do. And it really boils down to this, leading the church. Leading the church. Somebody say that, leading the church. And there are obviously many layers and manifestations of leading the church, but don't lose the high level here. Elders are to be the main spiritual, particularly spiritual influencers in the church. They are setting the pace for good or bad. The elders are responsible to set the pace and to keep the church on target and on track and in God's will and influence them toward spiritual growth and maturity and godliness and mission, etc. An elder is to lead the church. Listen, this doesn't mean that they do everything. Nobody wants that. You don't want that. This just means, though, that they have their, uh, they don't have to have their hand in every single thing that goes on either, but it means they're aware of it, they're on top of it, they're managing, and uh, they are primarily accountable for the condition of the church. So here's some specific examples of leading the church. Number one, I just talked about it a little bit, managing the church. So we talked about how elders are God's stewards, managers. This does not mean elders are to micromanage. How many of you have been micromanaged and you hated it? Right? It's terrible. It's the worst. Elders don't do that. You don't have to micromanage staff or volunteers or whatever. It just means that you're aware of, you're working alongside of people who are doing stuff, and uh, you're overseeing all aspects of church life, managing the church. Number two, duty of elders, caring for people in the church. Another word for that is shepherding. Shepherding. And an elder that does this emulates Jesus Christ, who is the good and the chief shepherd. Elders should be people who are praying for people, caring for people, visiting the lonely, visiting the sick, those in prison, that whole kind of thing. Uh, even something like administering church discipline as a way of caring for people in the church. Yes, we'll talk about that one too. Number three, elder duty is to the, the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands is something that you see in scripture and when that comes up, it's a spiritual thing. When you lay hands on somebody or something, it's to set them apart to the Lord. That's what the laying on of hands symbolizes. A couple of instances in the New Testament of the elders doing this. One is James 5.14. And in that case, the elders go to someone who is sick, lay hands on them to set them apart for healing. That's what that one is. The other one is 1 Timothy 4.14. In that case, the elders lay hands on someone to set them apart 
for a life of works of ministry. Either way, you get the point there. It's setting apart for the Lord in some capacity. Number four, elder's duty is to give account to God for the church. This one is large. This one is huge. It says that in uh, Hebrews 13, 17, elders are the ones who do this. Here's what I want you to know. Everybody listen, just listen here. You are responsible for your own walk, okay? You are responsible to make sure that you are investing in it and growing in it and seeking the Lord. That is your responsibility. Something I say, you'll know exactly where I'm going. Something I say in our house when something goes wrong, I say, it's everyone's fault but mine. And Lori usually gives me a glare or rolls her eyes because she knows that that is not true. You are responsible. So if things aren't going well, perhaps, you can't say, oh, well, the church is full. My pastor's not feeding me. Um, my internet quit working and I can't watch sermons anymore. No, like you take responsibility for sure. That said, the elders of a church, our church, any church, the elders of a church also have a hand in the condition of your faith. And we are going to have to stand before God one day. That's what it says in Hebrews 13, 17. We're going to have to stand before God and give him an account, have a little chat with him about the condition of our churches. And obviously our heart and our hope and our prayer is that we would stand before him and he would say, well done, good and faithful servants. But that's like, I want you to know, like that, that one isn't lost on us. Like that is, that's a real thing and that's hugely important. So please pray for us, actually. Please do that. Number five, uh, duty of elder is to establish policy. If you read Acts chapter 15, we won't go way into it today. What you'll see is the church was facing some pretty significant roadblocks, challenges, uh, things that needed to be dealt with. And so what happened was the elders got together and some of the apostles got together and they had, it was the Jew and Gentile thing, right? You've heard the story, you can go read it. The elders got together and they figured it out. They got together and they talked, they discussed, they used wisdom, they, were, they made sure they were in line with God's word. That's very important. And they put policies and practices and rules in place that would help the church move forward where there was a bottleneck. Elders today are to do the same thing. And listen, it's less about material things. The elders do not need to have a convention to talk about what color the carpet should be. We're not going to have carpet in here, just saying. But it's, it's spiritual things. The elders are responsible to sit down and say, okay, how are our people doing? Are they growing? Are there any roadblocks? Do we have a sense of mission and purpose? Are we growing in our faith? If not, why not? And what can we do to right the ship and, and fix the course there? That's the elder's responsibility, first and foremost. Number six, living exemplary lives. That's from Hebrews 13, 7 and 1 Peter 5, 3. To live an exemplary life, exemplary just means good, really good example to live an exemplary life that's in line with a lot of those qualifications we talked about you know what this is this is them being lived out in an elder's everyday life this is them walking the walk and not just talking the talk an elder can't just look good on paper on a resume they've got to live it out in an exemplary life number seven elders duty is to rightly use authority that says that in acts 20 verse 28 elders as i said have authority in the church they are under Jesus, far under Jesus. They are the highest spiritual authority in the church. And they need, they are expected by God to use that authority correctly. Here's a couple of extremes we can go to that are equally unhelpful. Number one, 
and elders overuse of authority. That's not good. That's where the flock is treated harshly. The elders are like whacking people with a club. The elders are really just hyper on, you know, the rules and keep the rules. You're not doing it well enough. That's unhelpful. That's an overuse of authority or micromanaging or whatever. On the other side of the coin, equally unhelpful is an underuse of authority. An underuse of authority is there's like some sin. There's some crazy stuff going on in our church. Better not say anything. Don't want to offend somebody. And then in cases like that, I made that up, by the way. I'm not saying that's going on in our church. In cases like that, sin is allowed to remain in the camp, and that's obviously displeasing to God and bad for people. It's bad for everybody. So elders are to kind of walk that balance, walk that line of, of rightly using their authority. Sometimes hard conversations are needed, but they're to be done in a loving way. You understand what I'm saying? Speaking of which, number eight, duty of elder is to administer church discipline or correction when necessary. Here's what I want you to know. Somebody might hear that word discipline and kind of bristle at that, right? Discipline is a very good thing. What did I just say? It's a very good thing. It says in Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines those who he loves. Just let that sink in. He disciplines those who he loves. Discipline and punishment are different. Punishment is you did this and you're going to pay. I'm going to make you pay for that. Discipline, particularly in a Christian sense, is this is what's going on. We've got to deal with that. But it's to make you more Christ-like, not so that you have to pay. Jesus has already paid for your sin. We don't have to pay for it again. But we are expected to grow in our Christ-likeness and walk away from sin, that kind of thing. Your elders, I want you to know this, love you and care about you. Therefore, this is something that we're going to do, and we have done before. Now, not every little sin requires church discipline, okay? We're not going to be coming around with a rod and whatever. It says in James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. So not every situation requires this, but this is particularly where there's ongoing, deliberate, maybe public sin. It needs to be addressed, and I want you to know, like, we're committed to that, If we need to, we will talk to you because we love you. It would be the most unloving thing we could do is to not say anything and let it continue. You understand what I'm saying? Good. Number nine, we gotta move on here. Number nine, duty of elder is to pray and study scripture. So elders need to be a people of the word. Not only does that set a good example for the rest of the flock, but elders also have to be well acquainted with the scriptures because they need to be able to teach it and defend it. Elders also need to be a people of prayer. They set the pace. They appeal to God on behalf of their church. That's absolutely a must. Number 10, elders are to defend doctrine. You know this already. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he is very much against the church. He is against you as a Christian. And he has a whole toolkit of things that he uses to try to discredit and destroy the church. One of those is false teaching. And what happens is he sends it in unnoticed. It creeps in. False teaching usually sounds really, really good people follow it because why would you follow it if it sounded bad people follow it and it leads to harm and unfaithfulness and 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 non-fruitfulness so elders not only need to know good doctrine they need to be able to speak out against bad doctrine call it out for what it is and teach people the good stuff particularly on the essential issues number 11 final one is teaching 
That's from 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.9. And I saved this one for last because scripturally, it's one of the most important duties of an elder. It kind of rises to the top. Somebody says, why didn't you do it first then? Because I didn't. You're welcome. It says in a couple places in scripture, at least, that elders must be able to teach. This is teaching the scriptures. You can teach math. That's great too. But we're talking about the scriptures. I'm not going to teach you math. Don't worry. Now, probably the main context in view would be like now what we're doing, like in church sermon. But again, it doesn't have to be that. Small group, one-on-one, whatever. The emphasis, though, is elders are to be people who are teaching, teaching the church. We are uh, kind of practice on this, which you guys have seen. It's not always and only elders that teach, but elders need to be involved in teaching in some respect. And here's what I tell you. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you are not past the need for teaching. This is one that we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep circling the wagons. We're going to keep coming back to it. Um, so that's that. We are almost done. We are almost done. Here's what I want to do. We're going to bring her in. I want to call the other two elders to come up to the front. Mark and Richard, you guys come on up here. And don't worry, we're bubbled, so we're not going to wear masks. That was funny. <laughs> okay. Okay. So... What we've done, that's a crash. They don't, I didn't tell them I was going to do this. They're probably, I'm going to hear about this later. Take it from here. Just kidding. Okay, we're done. We're, <laughs> we're not done. Here's what I want you to know. Okay, like that's a crash course on eldership. Very quick. We could expand on any of those. Here's what I want you to know. Your elders are not perfect. Somebody say amen. amen. Wives, anything? Okay. We make mistakes. Sometimes we still sin. Sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we miss opportunities. We sometimes drop the ball. But our heart, I want you to know this, this is very important, our heart is that we take this role very seriously. We've been elders for varying length of times, but I want you to know we are committed to this role. We are committed to you guys. We love you very much. And most importantly, I don't say this in a, in a boastful way at all. I'm saying this like we need his grace a lot. We are committed to the Lord Jesus. And we are not perfect, but by God's grace, we have been seeking to raise our game in this season. Even if you rewind just to the start of this calendar year, um, we've been doing a whole bunch of stuff to, to, to really double down on our role and make sure that we're in the will of God for our role as eldership. Because seriously, it's that important. It's that important. So for instance, we have been spending a lot more time in prayer. We pray every Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock a.m. You're all welcome to join us on Zoom. It's early, but we go for it. We do that pretty much every week. We pray at our meetings. We pray in our own lives. We are uh, trying to grow into even more of a people of prayer. We have spent time, like I say, studying the scriptures for more wisdom and insight on what our role is supposed to be. We have been meeting and praying and planning and talking and working a lot. Like I told you at the start, COVID has not been a vacation, right? We meet almost every week, usually for a couple hours at a time in addition to like when we pray together on Wednesday mornings. Um, what else? Back in August, this was fun, we had an overnight elders retreat uh, down kind of towards St. Andrews, Oak Bay kind of way. We stayed in this really tiny like shack. I slept on the floor, that was a thing. And we prayed together and we hung out and we sat by the fire and we encouraged one another and we strategized and we ate fish and chips. It was glorious, it was awesome. Um, we talk in our meetings and in our times together, we talk about the condition and the welfare and the effectiveness and the fruitfulness of our church. We talk about that. I want you to know that. We talk about you guys. Dun, dun, dun. 
We know sometimes situations come up and struggles come up. We talk about you guys, specific individuals. We talk about you guys because we talk about how we can best serve you and help you and love you and encourage you, particularly when you're in a difficult season. We talk about that. We pray. We spend time praying that God would move and stir and work and do a mighty thing among our church. I want you to know, like, we pray for that. You have not because you ask not. We don't want to miss out on that because we're not asking. We are very thankful to God for you guys. We are very thankful and for the opportunity that we have to serve you and to work alongside you. It's a blessing. We are far from perfect, but we have been seeking to raise our game. Here's what I want to say and then I'm done. We're going to flip the script over onto you guys. This is how we're going to wrap up our Church Now series. What this is, is an opportunity for all of us to raise our games as well. Regardless of what your life has been like leading up to this point, what your situation has been in COVID, how your faith has been doing, how your engagement has been doing, whatever else has been going on, this is an opportunity, guys, listen, to put a stake in the ground and to say, I choose the Lord Jesus. I choose to follow and worship and serve and glorify and give my life and my time and my energy and attention and affection to the Lord Jesus. I choose to work for his kingdom. I choose to work with his people, the church. I choose to work for him and for the good of those who don't know him yet. This is a time to raise our game, every one of us. So what I want to do, again, that's regardless of where you're at or where you've been, Maybe you've been in an awesome place. Maybe your faith is flying high right now. Awesome. We have a chance to plug in and go even deeper in our faith. There's always more. We change from glory to glory to glory ongoing. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for the elders. And then we are done. So I want you, as a matter of fact, I would love for you to stand to your feet. It's good for you. You've been sitting long enough. I want you to join with me in prayer. And here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna start out by praying for the elders. I want you to lift out a hand toward the front here over the elders as we pray for them. Put your hand out, come on now. Thank you, God, first and foremost, for who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of creation, the God of salvation, the God of endless mercy and grace and glory. Thank you, we acknowledge who you are today. And God, we bring to you the elders. God, first of all, we ask for your grace and your forgiveness for the times where we have not measured up to the standard that you want us to be. God, we know that we've done that. So thank you for your mercy in that department. God, I wanna pray blessing and protection and wisdom and vision over the elders. God, that in this season to come, in this season to come, you would give us uh, an extra helping, not only of your grace, but of your spirit and your presence, God, that we would hear you clearly speaking and that we would be able to move forward, not just on paper, but actually like lead the church forward in this season, God, that the things you want us to do will be the things that we gladly do. God, give us that grace, we pray. I also now, God, you can put your hands down if you want, you don't have to. God, I wanna pray for our whole church. I love our church. I love our church very much, God. What a blessing it is to be part of this group of believers. 
I pray blessing. I speak blessing, God, as their pastor over each one. God, I pray that you would protect and guide and stir in the hearts of each one, particularly those who are struggling right now in their faith or with life circumstances, God. Strengthen and quicken our hearts, God. Help us in this season to put a stake in the ground and step forward into who you are, into your plans and your will for us as individuals and therefore as a church. God, I pray for those who are maybe not in a season of struggle right now as well. Give us more and more grace, God. Help us to keep growing and keep pushing forward and moving again from glory to glory. God, we lift our church up to you and we ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. And God's people prayed and said together today, amen.